Tom. And today we're going to be talking to Derek May, but finally we're going to talk to him about his experience in UX and UI. I think he comes with a very interesting background and it will really answer a lot of questions if you are interested in UX or UI, or maybe if you're interested in going to master's degree or something else. So first off, I want Derek to introduce yourself. Hey everyone, I'm Derek. Uh, I'm Derek. I'm based out of Boston in, in the U.S. I'm currently a uh, UX lead at Third Play Media, which is a startup here in the Boston area uh, that focuses on accessibility, um, really making sure that content in, in any form gets out to the people that uh, can't uh, consume it. So uh, we provide captioning, audio description, um, a lot of other accessibility services as well. Outside of work, uh, I'm also a part-time master's student at Bentley University studying in the Human Factors program. Um, and also have a few side projects going on here and there. And as I mentioned, I did start my YouTube channel uh, at the very beginning of quarantine. Uh, it's taken a bit of a hiatus with, with COVID and everything, but uh, hoping to get back into that over the next few weeks. And I did want to note that actually Derek and I, we met when we were at Boston University. So he was like a sophomore when I was a freshman and we were both founding like a business fraternity, Phi Chi Theta. So definitely hit us up because we're both Phi Chi Theta founders of our chapter and also alumni. And one thing I did want to note though, is that a lot of the similarities that we had was that we were both interested in technology. So even from the very beginning, even when I was a business major, I was still interested in technology and working with a lot of people in Phi Theta that was mostly interested in technology too, was really cool. So that's exactly how I found out about what even UX, UI was. And at that time, I didn't even know what it was until Derek brought it up. So we're gonna learn a lot more about his career path. And maybe this is for you too, when it comes to your career path too. So this is a question I like to ask to every single podcast guest of mine. And that is more of like an icebreaker question of if you had all the time in the world, what would you be doing? I, I think this is an interesting question. And I, I would say some variant of whatever I'm doing right now. Uh, everything I'm doing is uh, enjoyable. And there are times where you'll get frustrated at work or uh, you'll, you'll feel tired from, from all the side projects and stuff that, that's going on. But I would say I always want to be designing, always be uh, engaging in some sort of work. Um, and that's a very loose definition of work. Uh, outside of that, I definitely want to travel a lot. Right now with COVID, that's definitely not something that's very possible uh, mm -hmm. with a lot of the travel restrictions in place. Um, on the side, I've been actually learning Thai, which has actually been really cool and, and very different from what I'm used to. I've definitely had, uh, had given language learning a try in the past, kind of learning uh, Chinese and uh, taking Spanish in, in school and uh, at, even at one point trying to learn uh, Korean as well. But Thai is something that I just felt like has been super interesting and cool. And I've been learning it uh, almost every day for the past two months at this point. Um, aside from that, I, I think being able to work and, and hang with people who are like-minded after college, especially after uh, you join a fraternity and you come out into the workplace, uh, it's hard to maintain those relationships with every single person in your fraternity, especially when there's 50 to 100 members and there's so many different classes nowadays. Um, you really hone in on the people that uh, you find are most relevant to you or people who you connect with the most. So I would say, uh, long answer short, really just some variant of what I'm doing right now, being able to, to learn more about design, uh, grow my skill set, personal development, and also, uh, I think, travel. Those are kind of the big, big things. So where would you say you would travel first thing when COVID's over or when you have a vaccination or when everyone is basically safe? Where would you go? Would it be Thailand? Uh, that's always been top of mind. Um, honestly, just anywhere in the U.S. would be really nice. Okay. Uh, California, L.A., uh, Seattle, again, maybe New York. That's we, we, It's still on our radar to do an in-person <laughs> recording. So yeah. uh, definitely New York. Um, so anywhere in the U.S., but also abroad as well. There's a lot of places I want to go to that I haven't been to yet. Uh, mm -hmm. I've been to Thailand, actually, but it was on one of these uh, uh, Asian bus tours where they lock you <laughs> in uh, like a jewelry store for hours until you buy something and then they let you out. Um, so definitely having a little more freedom to explore the country by myself, going to uh, popular tourist sites, but also uh, off the beaten path, um, maybe uh, less well-known places. I want to give Muay Thai a try, mm -hmm. uh, kind of try different foods, markets. Um, I feel like there's a lot of stuff abroad that you can do. So that actually kind of lends me to the question of what are your aspirations in life at this point in time? I think I'm a very goal-oriented person. 
And of course, like there, there are a lot of things that I've kind of undertaken over the past few years. One of them is my master's program, which we can get more into. That's something I'm hoping to finish up by the end of 2021. Now that I've been in that program for almost a year and a half at this point. Um, aside from that, I think continued growth in my current position at my company. I think that's been really valuable in, in connecting with people at that uh, company, learning from other people who have had more experience or, or um, I guess, time in, in, the, in the space, kind of learning from other people in other departments as the only designer at the organization. Um, I would also say outside of, I guess, work, uh, being able to spend more time spiritually and, uh, and emotionally with myself. I think the past year has given me a lot of stuff to think about. I think everyone has, is more or less in the same boat being stuck at home. You sit alone with your thoughts a lot. And I think it can get very uncomfortable if you're not sure what you want to do with your time or, um, or what your values are, or especially if you've encountered something that has been uh, more difficult, such as a layoff or a loss of a family member. There's a lot of things that I can think of there that, I think for the majority of us during 2020, we can relate to. Yeah. But I think from a general sense, just being more mindful of how I spend my time, who I spend my time with, um, and, and what I want to do, I guess, with my life. I, those are all questions that I continue to ask myself. Mm -hmm. So this looks like it's mostly driven by the quarantine or COVID-19, right? So was there anything that you've learned specifically or maybe even some hobbies that you picked up during quarantine other than YouTube? Yeah. Um, so fun fact for the listeners on the call, I actually got COVID. Um, so I think one thing I would definitely learn is not to get COVID again, if you, if you can. Uh, it, it sucked losing my sense of smell and taste. And because one of the symptoms was, uh, I guess, losing your, your sense of smell and taste. For me, before quarantine, one of the uh, simple pleasures I had in life, I think most people love going out to eat at restaurants and stuff, was just mm -hmm. eating food. And the sensation of chewing something and knowing what you're eating and being able to distinguish the texture, but not the taste or smell is so weird. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I would never want to experience again. Um, so I think that's one of the things I, I learned is just be, being able to appreciate some of the sensory experiences that you have already and uh, take more time to kind of relish in them. Um, mm -hmm. The feeling of having like a warm blanket draped over you, being able to not have to go to the hospital and just stay at home and, and just do do things that you want to do. I think we a lot of us take that for granted. Um, so just being more mindful there. Um, aside from that, I would say YouTube video editing has been a big one and we can get more into that. Uh, mm -hmm. But getting a lot of different things to try, um, being able to... Uh, take on new sports. So for example, uh, I've actually started doing a little more yoga, uh, a little more stretching because I think sitting at home mm -hmm. has been pretty bad for my back and, and a lot of different parts of my body now that I'm not as active as I used to be before quarantine. Um, I've been definitely reading a lot more uh, since over the past two months, I've actually read four or five books at this point. Um, the one I'm reading right now is, is called Flow. And that one's taken me around a month to read, mainly because it's super dense. Uh, but uh, these are all things that I've wanted to do in the past. But I think quarantine has given me more opportunity to say, I have all this free time. I don't yeah. want to just be sitting in front of my computer and my TV all day. I want to do something with that time. And I think having a little more structure around it has really been helpful there. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And I think like that does kind of go align with why are you interested in design? Because it seems like everything you're interested in is really mostly what makes you tick, what happens if you do this. And it really is kind of like a lot of cause and effect and just seeing how things go, especially when it comes to UX design. So why exactly design? Because you did come from like a business, math, computer science background, and then now it's design. It's like almost completely different where you're focusing more on the creative side, but also on the psychological side of how things tick and what makes things happen. Like where, how did that come from and where did that come to be? Yeah, I, th I think a common thread that I've seen from a lot of designers is that they tend to come from different industries. Hmm. So over the past few months, I've actually been mentoring a lot of designers uh, informally as well as formally. Um, I've been working with this boot camp called Career Foundry 
online that uh, helps career switchers get into their um, field into a field that they want to work in. So being able to get into UI or UX or even front end development, those are all things that they coach. Uh, but I specifically mentor in the UI and UX space and mm -hmm. seeing just a lot of people come from completely unrelated industries. So there's a, a woman I work with who came uh, from the nursing industry. There's another person mm -hmm. who's currently in the hospitality and restaurant industry. And I would say a lot of people who get into UX actually come from different industries because I think it's a very applicable and relevant field, regardless of whatever industry you're coming from. Um, that being said, I think I've picked up more of the technical skills related mm -hmm. to UX, where um, as a computer scientist or someone who knows how to, to code, you have a good understanding of how designers work with front-end developers to, to build physical interfaces or digital interfaces, um, knowing a bit about the math side of things. And, and especially over the past few months, I've um, relied a lot, actually, surprisingly, on some of the Excel skills that I've picked up from, mm -hmm. from our time in Questrom. Um, because I think once you get into UX, you start doing a bit of quantitative analysis um, from whatever survey responses that you get back, from whatever data that you're getting back. You want to analyze it in one way or another. So Excel has been really useful. I didn't think I would use Excel at all after leaving the uh, Questrom or the Business School, but I would say that's one of the, the nice things to, to have under my belt is some of those technical skills. Mm -hmm. But I think going back to your question anyone can get into uh, ux from any field because if you have su subject matter expertise in an area a company might be more uh, willing to hire you over someone else who doesn't know about that particular company or mm -hmm. the field or industry that you're in so if you're coming from the hospitality industry and there's a company in the hospitality or uh, restaurant space such as like grubhub or chow bus or, or maybe um, Harry, for example, like these are all companies in that space and you can sell yourself as someone who knows enough about that knowledge to make an impact regardless of uh, your technical skills. Of course, the technical skills and the behavioral skills, those are all important. Yeah. Uh, but I would say, especially in today's world, I think there's definitely more flexibility to, to switch fields um, as long as you're willing to put in the time and work. So would you say that, like, let's say someone who came from nursing is interested in UX, UI, would it be mostly of like, oh, because I have experience in patient care, how doctors interact with the system or how patients interact with the system, that that's where you can pivot yourself into UX, UI? I'm like, you still need the technical experience, but it's really just gathering that technical skill and then you can apply to maybe like somewhere in healthcare industry doing UX? Yeah, I think the okay. industry is one part of it. So being able to work in the healthcare industry if you're interested mm -hmm. and maybe creating an app for people, uh, for patients or doctors mm -hmm. to communicate. That's just one example, but also some of the uh, soft skills um, definitely okay. do apply as well. So the nurse that I, I talked to, she was, actually, she was actually a hospice care worker. And a lot of the soft skills that designers have, uh, I think uh, correlate to a lot of these skills that nurses have. So being able yeah. to communicate effectively, especially in times of, uh, of need where, where patients are dying, being able to have empathy. That's another really big one in the, in the UX space. But mm -hmm. I think in addition to the soft skills, being able to, to sell your hard skills and learn the technical skills and the theory behind whatever you're doing is also really important. And can you actually tell me the difference between UX and UI? Yeah, so I, I think the difference between UI and UX I think is pretty subtle. And a lot of people tend to get them pretty confused. And I get this question a lot. And I've been actually on a few panels at this point uh, where people have asked about the difference between UI and UX. Um, but simply put, I would say UI is some sort of interface that you're, you're building around. And the most simple that we can think of are uh, the apps and websites that we interact with day to day. Um, of course, uh, interfaces can be physical as well. So a lot of the first few interfaces that we've probably interacted, uh, people have interacted, interacted with or built, or maybe like interfaces in tanks or planes or, or uh, physical interfaces for vehicles. Um, but also now with all these future interactions and platforms that we can build for with AR and VR, um, I think interfaces can be applicable to a variety of different uh, modalities and senses. Mm -hmm. um, moving over to UX, UX is much broader than uh, the UI. So understanding the user experience, understanding who's going to be coming to your website or product or interacting with it, and then designing an experience around that uh, really starts with understanding who you're designing your experience for and understanding all of the different pain points and wants and needs associated with that particular user. 
Um, so in this case, if you're if you're, if you're doing research on someone, you want to understand their needs, what make what makes them tick, as you're saying, um, their their pain points, um, underlying characteristics of their schedule, um, maybe some of the technical limitations or requirements that you have to consider. Mm -hmm. uh, and I always think of UX as kind of the glue that holds together the business. Um, the technical requirements, as well as the users that you're designing for. It's really yeah. a happy medium and you can't have one side be stronger than the other because you're going to get into a space where the product you're, you're designing is is uh, handicapped in many ways. And that's what people call the three, three-legged stool where you want all the legs and all the different facets of, uh, of these departments to be equal mm -hmm. in power. So as a designer, you have to account for all of these limitations and requirements and design something that really solves the underlying problem that a user needs. So just hearing that, it seems like UX could be very similar to market research of like maybe figuring out why this particular demographic likes this or what kind of experiences they look for and what kind of things actually are very important to them. So what is the difference between market research in that perspective and UX? Is UX really just implementing what that research was or does UX also do that kind of research as well? Yeah, I would say market research is definitely broader than user experience okay. research. Um, market research, you're looking at uh, trends within the market across mm -hmm. different segments. Uh, I think you'll end up coming with a lot of the same artifacts that user experience designers come up with. So the concept of a persona in market research still exists mm -hmm. in user experience, but I would say it's one level lower where you're conducting research, not with the markets or, or people's perceptions, of, of market conditions, but rather you're looking at uh, the underlying users or the people or the individuals. And that's why it's called okay. user experience, which is technically under this umbrella of experience design. Mm -hmm. So when you're conducting research, um, you can still do personas for, for individuals and, and the people who are going to be using it. Um, but going even further, I think user experience also uh, requires that last piece around recommendations or a solution. So in addition okay. to doing the research, um, you can also be the person that's coming up with the solution and trying to figure out how to uh, write up that solution or hand it off to the person who's going to be building it. So the okay. most common case that I can think of is creating wireframes or prototypes or uh, essentially creating some sort of minimum viable product to be able to define the solution that I'm building here solves this need in the market. And these are the features that we need to include based off of the research that I've conducted. Mm -hmm. And being able to hand that over to a developer or, who's, or someone else who's going to be building it, being able to justify some of the decisions that you're making as part of that. Um, that's why I'm saying UX is a very, very broad field that yeah. uh, there's so many different facets. There are people who only focus on the research. Uh, there are people who only focus on the way that an app is structured, especially in complex uh, applications such as maybe like amazon.com where if you can think of going to amazon they have so many different departments so many different drop downs and things that you can choose from you have to figure out a way to organize that data and one example is for example if you're buying baby furniture does baby furniture fall within i guess like furniture or does it fall within like baby uh mm. baby things so that that is called uh, that's called information architecture. There's another okay. um, whole space around, I guess, UX engineering. There's a lot of different facets there, but I would say at its core, um, UX is definitely more in the weeds than the market research is. But I would say okay. both are st still very important to any product and service. Yeah. So, what would you say is the difference between UX design and UX research? Then are they one and the same? UX research or UX research definitely is more focused on, I would say the front end and the latter end of the design process. Um, of course, I think research is embedded and research and design are embedded throughout the entire system. Mm -hmm. And I would say the best organizations or the best companies that follow any type of design process have designers and researchers and developers and anyone working together at all parts of that software development lifecycle. Mm -hmm. um, UX research, you'll tend to find a lot of things around uh, ethnography and, and different studies and being able to figure out when you run different um, uh, surveys or studies on which customer segment and identifying who you want to do that with. Um, and then also when a product is actually built, some of the user researchers also go back to the same users and test products. And that's called usability testing. And you'll, you'll have a lot of data and results around that, that you can use to inform a product and make it better. 
UX design is definitely more focused on either the visual presentation, and this is where you have this field of UI UX designers, but yep. if you're building some sort of voice app, so for example, there are designers be, behind the teams at uh, Alexa or Google um, who work on uh, the, the voice interfaces and being able to figure out how those interactions occur when a user says something. Um, that might not have a visual um, interface to it, but there are teams of designers who think about uh, common language uh, or, or things that people are going to say and trying to integrate that with the devices and things that we have around us. Um, okay. So I, I would say the design process, it, it definitely varies from organization to organization. But the way that I think about it is research is definitely more prevalent at the very beginning of a process and at the end, okay. as opposed to in the middle. Mm -hmm. And I know we talked a lot about the UI UX field, but now we're going to bring it back to you. What out of UX, UI, design, or research do you actually like the most? When I first started out, I definitely was gravitated towards the, the UI. I think a lot mm -hmm. of people who get into the industry will see these really attractive mock-ups and designs and, and say, oh, that's something I want to work on. And as a result, I think the industry has gotten to a point where a lot of designers come come in thinking that the UI is the same as UX. And that's why mm -hmm. a lot of people ask this question, like what's the difference between UI and UX? And for someone who's at this point, I've been in the field for, for half a decade at this point, kind of going through my bootcamp, learning on my own. Um, before that, coming from a software background, you're exposed to developers and the UI, yep. UX industry a lot. Um, I would say I started out also being very interested in the UI. And then as I've learned more about uh, user research and some of the underlying uh, quant heavy work that's required in making apps successful, um, especially now that I've taken on more of a kind of product mindset where in mm -hmm. addition to f figuring out what's best for the users, you also wanna build something that works for their business. Yeah. Uh, whether that that's a number of signups or revenue or something that impacts the bottom line one way or another, being able to define those metrics um, uh, more clearly and being able to design something that uh, increases those metrics or hits those goals that you're looking for. I think the UX is definitely something uh, I've grown to love a lot more now. So ultimately, it looks like you shifted from UI to UX, right, at this point? It's it's really hard to do one without the other. Yeah. Um, that's why I would say, especially if you're building digital products, mm -hmm. um, UI and UX are definitely very heavily integrated. It's definitely easier to go down the user research route mm -hmm. and not have to focus on the UX design or okay. um, UI design in many ways. You can do a lot of the studies, but ultimately, You'll still have to have a working knowledge of both of those disciplines because the whole process is very embedded and, and you need to have knowledge about a little, at least a little knowledge about, about everything in order to, I think, be a good designer. Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, I definitely started out more interested in the UI, but I think learning good visual design and learning good interface practices takes a long time. Yeah. Um, especially not coming from a graphic design or any type of visual design background aside from designing some slides in Google Google Slides or PowerPoint. Like it took me a few years to actually get, I think, somewhat decent at UI design. And I would say for anyone who's interested in getting into this field, uh, it's a lot of trial and error when you first start. Um, you're going to have to be receptive to feedback. And one of the things I think a lot of designers need to think about is um, don't let your work t be tied to your ego. Because mm -hmm. when you build something and you have this attachment to it and you, you think it looks good and you think other people are going to think it's look good, it's going to look good. Um, when you show off your designs for the first time in public, people are going to nitpick on it. They're going to say, oh, this isn't intuitive. This doesn't look good. This doesn't make sense. The text is too small here. And as you get better and better, you're going to realize whether or not some of that critique is right or if it's objective or subjective. And that's one of the things I find most interesting about design compared to, I guess, the field of engineering. Or I guess some of these other fields where there's a there's a very discrete solution. There's one solution. There's many ways to get to that solution, but there's only one right answer. Mm -hmm. And the field of design, and I would say even at the uh, in the, in the fields of business or strategy, there's a lot of different decisions that you can make, and you're essentially trying to optimize that decision based off of the data and, and the information that you know. But being able to 
come up with one right solution, that's really difficult because you're not never ne- never going to know the implications of what's going to happen given that market conditions and the environment continues to change. So I would say if you're interested in becoming a designer, just be open to feedback. And this goes for anyone in any industry as well. Just listen to what other people have to say. You don't have to agree with it, but being able to listen with an open mind and incorporate some of that feedback and advice into your work, I would say is one of the most valuable skills that you can you can build. Mm-hmm. I think like what really perplexes me about this field is kind of similar to how like I have some friends in art industry and I would be like, this design looks nice. And then they're like, no, it's not. That's bad design. And then they tell me like, there's all these kind of design principles. I'm like, wait, I just thought it was all subjective and whatnot. Like, oh, it looks nice. It's not. But sometimes there really are design principles you need to stick through. But also sometimes it's subjective on like what looks good and what doesn't. So that's kind of where like for me, it's very blurry in terms of how you can improve. But I think like exactly what you said is you have to sift through the criticism and learn over time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So actually, one thing that was really interesting that you mentioned in that UX and UI is mostly for digital product. It looks like UX is the one you can apply to other things out there, too. That's not just digital or technology, right? You can design uh, interfaces for, say, like a microwave or a toaster Mm, or a vehicle. And I would say one of the most interesting fields right now, and I'm not an expert in this, but I definitely have read articles. I, I know some of my friends who are interested in this field is applying the the principles and the concepts from UI and UX to automobiles. So, mm-hmm. for example, like if you think about Tesla, their yeah. big screen interface is a lot of people say that that's beautiful, that's minimalist, that's that's great um, UI. But ultimately, I, I, I actually have been in the Tesla, I've, I've driven one before. I hate that interface. <laughs> because sometimes when you keep your eyes on the road and you want to like move the volume or dial, yep. you have that haptic feedback of being able to figure out, I, I can move the dial. I know what it feels like. It, it juts out from the interface. Whereas on a Tesla, you don't have that affordance. You don't have the ability to figure out where that dial is. And as a result, you're going to be taking your eyes off of the road. Um, mm-hmm. So with a lot of car manufacturers, they have a lot of full-fledged design teams in the back end trying to figure out what what's the optimal um, compromise between aesthetic design and something that's a little more functional. Um, so that's something I would say is an example of something that's more physical as opposed to digital, although it does incorporate a lot of elements of digital technology in it. And um, I think you mentioned this before, not in this particular video or call, but traffic lights is technically done with better UX, correct? It can be. I mean, I've, I've mentioned that before. Um, I think that's another example of where you need to consider underrepresented populations. And I think that's one of the biggest things about design is that coming into the field, um, I've definitely become more mindful of of populations that are underrepresented or or people who might not be able to use a technology or product or service because of the way it's built. Um, Especially now working for a company that's in the accessibility space. I know Microsoft has the inclusive design toolkit. Um, if you worked at any company, especially now nowadays with the regulations and rules tightening across the web, um, you need to consider people who are uh, disabled or have a disability. And it could be a physical disability. So I think the most common one that people think of is is maybe someone in a wheelchair, or someone who only has one arm. But there's a lot of different other types of disabilities as well. So Microsoft talks about permanent disabilities, which are maybe disabilities you're born with, situational or temporary dis- temporary disabilities, which are um, maybe disabilities, you've, you broke your arm, it's going to get better, mm-hmm. but you don't know, you can't use that arm right now. And then situational disabilities. And, and the one that I think Microsoft gives is if you're a new mother, or you're a parent, or you're holding your dog for the first time, you're going to be using one arm, and then you're only going to have one arm free to do tasks. Mm-hmm. So although we think of disabilities, I think a lot of people think of disabilities as something that's just permanent or only affects a small population of people. Um, There's actually a lot of people that can be considered uh, to have some sort of impairment um, due to the environmental situation or due to some accident or factor that's out of their control. So being able to think about the impact of a design that you're building and how it's going to impact those people um, has been really rewarding and has taught me to to interact with people who are different from you and and being able to just be more mindful of your interactions with, with anyone, regardless of who they are. Mm-hmm. Is that one of the reasons why you want to pursue a little bit more in UX or I think like, or is it 
maybe something that's driving you away from UX and UI and into something else? That's a leading question. Um, I am definitely not getting drawn away or getting pushed away from UX because of this. Mm-hmm. In fact, if, if anything, I'm, I've become more passionate about helping other people with design mm-hmm. and, and being able to design uh, equal experiences for all. Um, that's been that's been a huge factor in my interest uh, to pursue user experience to begin with. Um, okay. But to to talk about your second point, I think design is just one part of the the equation. There's a lot of other stuff I'm interested in as well yep. um, in my career, and I think one of those is really learning more about the product mindset, and that's something that we've talked about uh, briefly in our own personal lives and and outside of this call, but. I think there's a lot of different facets of building and maintaining and growing a business that I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like you, both of us have uh, interest in entrepreneurship, uh, being able to uh, kind of do things outside of what you consider your nine to five, kind of explore different yeah. passions and, and find some way to provide value to other people who are learning. So for you, growing the technology consulting community and helping other people who are interested in going into the field. Uh, for me, with my channel, The Handoff, trying to help other designers who are either in the middle of a career switch or trying to learn more about design. Um, I think both of us have passions and interests in that, and, and that's something that I'd definitely be interested in, in pursuing further. So this kind of brings into the question as to, first, we talked about your career in UX and like your thoughts on the entire industry. But now let's let's kind of dial it back and see exactly how did we even get here to begin with? So you came from a computer science, math, and business background. Like what was exactly the reason why you decided to pursue UX, UI, as opposed to all of the other career paths out there? And then also later down in the road, do you think that you will stay in design or do you think you're going to go more? I know you mentioned more on the business side, but are you still kind of discovering other career paths that it could be for you or you're still kind of figuring it out? Yeah, I actually dodged your, your first question earlier around how I got into UI and UX. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, coming from this background of just not really knowing what I wanted to do, but still kind of learning a bit about everything, that's a problem. I, I don't know if it's a problem, um, but it, it's that that's definitely a commonality that I've seen over the past few years in my life mm-hmm. where I want to do so many different things. And and this also kind of hints at your second question, where what I, what I want to do in the future, that yeah. I want to do so many different things that it's hard for me to choose any one of them. Um, but I actually had worked as a software engineer at a financial services company for like two, three years right after college. Um, and I didn't really enjoy my time there. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason was that it could have been the organization itself, but I think more so it was just the work itself didn't align with my interest. Mm. I had always been interested in technology, but sitting at a computer writing code, um, I think finding solutions is interesting for other people. And I think having that skill set has definitely benefited me in, in many ways, being able to be a technical uh, designer who knows the code and can communicate with developers has been invaluable. Mm-hmm. But at that company, I actually uh, became more interested in design after talking to other designers there. So there were two okay. designers at that organization. I had been kind of wanting to pivot away from uh, development, but didn't really know how to get out of it or what would be next. At the same time, uh, in college, throughout college, throughout high school, I always had an interest in design. Um, but one of my worries about going into graphic design was that I wasn't creative enough. Um, I would see all these other people kind of working on, on stuff that would look amazing, knowing how to use Photoshop, uh, spending a lot of their time after school uh, and after class uh, working on projects that were completely unrelated to the stuff that they had to do for assignments. And it just looked really cool. It's, it was a really cool skill set. So I had, mm-hmm. a, I had a bit of dabbling in, in that field and kind of working with some of the tooling there. But being able to talk to those designers and, and having that organization pay for a boot camp, a part-time boot camp, mm-hmm. really got my feet uh, wet in, in, in that space. I think that's part of the reason why I'm in design today is because mm-hmm. Uh, one of the best ways you can discover what you're interested in is not only by trying it, but I think asking other people about their experiences in that field. Yep. And everyone that I've asked about uh, who worked in the UX industry, who worked in the design industry, loved what they did. Uh, but it was really hard to find someone who really hated what they did as a designer. And some people aren't going to tell you, like, I hate what I do, but 
conversely, when I talk to a lot of developers, especially people who were at an organization for 5, 10, 15 years, they start uh, losing that interest in the core work of what they were doing. And, and ultimately, they ended up just pursuing that career path because it was lucrative or they just found that uh, it was there's no other option that they couldn't pivot mm-hmm. out of that field. Um, but feeling like you're stuck is definitely something that I think a lot of people can relate to, especially mm-hmm. if they've chosen a major or a, um, a job that they feel like might not really align with their interests. So uh, being able to pivot out of development and, and get into design and, and work in that space for a while, I think that's how I knew um, it was a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. And then to, to answer the second part of your question, kind of what's next for me, um, I've only been in the field for a few years at this point, and I definitely want to continue growing my skills, especially being able to finish up my master's and apply what I'm learning in my program to some of the work that I'm doing uh, in my job, but also to side projects as well. I think that's something I'll continue to do, uh, but also broadening broadening out. Um, I've always had this kind of internal struggle of whether or not I want to go back to development, uh, but really look at that intersection between design and development focus on that because it still allows me to kind of draw from the best of both worlds. Um, there's also been a, another another option for me to kind of go deeper into the business side of things, learning more about product. Uh, now that mm-hmm. I've had the chance to work with a head of product that got recently hired in my organization, he's been really awesome in teach, teaching me some of the concepts, connecting with uh, connecting me with people who he's, he's known. Uh, to be great designers, um, other people who have a lot of knowledge about what it means to make uh, difficult product decisions, uh, figuring out how you can monetize products. And I think a lot of that knowledge has been super useful for me in yep. kind of building on my own career and, and being able to apply some of what I've learned to uh, the work that I do as a designer. Mm-hmm. So would you say a lot of what you learned on that perspective could help you out with the handoff? Yeah. um, When you're pursuing any type of side project, if you don't have a plan for it, that's more of a hobby than a side project. Mm -hmm. Of course, I I think every side project or any, anything that you go into, you need to have a plan Mm -hmm. um, created for it. And I know how detailed your plans are. And I think being able to look into the future, the next month, what you want to do short term, but also long term, um, having some sort of aspirational goal for your channel five, 10 years out from now, I think is what drives you to continue making videos and continue um, just creating good content for everyone. Um, Mm -hmm. So with the handoff, uh, one of my goals um, is to create a digital course. That's something that I've definitely thought a lot about and I know what topic I wanna do it on. And uh, I think seeing some other people in the space, you always kind of get torn because you have this sense of imposter syndrome where will people listen to what I have to say, especially as someone who's pretty recent, like pretty new out of college, a few years out, you you haven't had as much experience as someone who's 20, 30 years in, in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think being able to step back and just know that no one knows everything. And as long as you know a little more than the, than the next person and you're able to coach them and give them advice, that's valuable for them. And yeah. you can honestly start with the basics, kind of start with putting out free content if people are watching your stuff giving you likes leaving great comments saying this is helpful that just gives you extra motivation to keep going so i do have a plan um i think after getting covid and and kind of just relaxing over the past few weeks i definitely have plans to get back into my my uh, content creation um Mm -hmm. so hats off to you for continuing to push through these past few weeks and getting monetized that's a huge milestone on youtube i mean i didn't get covid so i have a feeling that you know it's one of those situations where if you got COVID or any other issues, mental, physical, anything like that, you just still need time to de-stress and whatnot. So I'm lucky that I haven't had any of those issues, but also knock on wood if I do, but uh, it's still always really good to kind of calm down and kind of de-stress and relax whenever you have to. So it's good that you took a break and didn't just try to push it through because that that's just going to be really bad on your mental and physical health. Yeah. And that, it goes back to what I said at the very beginning around being yeah. more mindful. There's mm-hmm. always this anxiety where for me, like if I'm not doing anything, I get kind of anxious, yeah. but being able to kind <laughs> of just step back and, and say like, Hey, like you need this time to recover, especially with everything that's going on in your life. 2020 is, has been a weird year. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have lost their jobs. 
Uh, some people have lost family members and I, I'm fortunate enough to say that that hasn't happened to me, but uh, knowing that the impact of COVID and everything else that's going on can get to your head and mm-hmm. that you just need a few a few weeks off at a time just to kind of focus on everything that's going on and try to build up from there. Um, it's always a, a gradual process. You can't expect to do everything in one day. So being able to just plan out your your time and, and have a plan to get back into something after you've taken time off, I think is really important. So that actually, I have a question now when it comes to the handoff. So I'm noticing a lot of your content is actually focused on how to get into UX or UI or how to actually get into the career. But what exactly will your digital course be? Is it just going to be more of like that kind of content or will it be more on what exactly is UX and UI? So that way, if people don't want to go to a boot camp or go to a master's degree or anything like that, they would use the handoff for that situation. Yeah, there's there's a lot of great material out there on youtube already mm-hmm. um around ux uh, okay. and i'm hoping that my channel is just a, uh, a a channel dedicated to ui ux and development so with my development okay. experience part yeah. of the reason why i called it the handoff is there's a term within the design process or in, in the field where there's a handoff between designers and developers and that's the handoff mm-hmm. that i wanted to originally focus on I think after seeing so many designers in the field struggle with landing their first job out of a boot camp or college, especially over the past few months as hiring has, has halted or slowed down, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to create more material that would help uh, motivate these designers to continue pushing through and land their first job in the industry, and especially because mm-hmm. that was something that I had struggled with, pivoting from a different field, going to a boot camp, and then spending a few months applying to a job without actually hearing back. Um, yeah. So being able to help those people who, who are currently in a career transition land their first job has been the original goal. Um, mm-hmm. But I think my digital course is definitely going to be a little more technical than some of the content okay. that I'm putting out now. Um, one of the things I think a lot of designers could benefit from is being able to speak the language of developers and, and understand mm-hmm. what's going on in a technical business environment. And this mm-hmm. is something that I think a lot of uh, other people, a lot of other stakeholders, not just only designers, can benefit from as well. If you're yeah. a uh, intro or someone who's more of a junior consultant who's getting into the technology field for, for the first time and you're working for a company that has all of these technologies that you've never heard of, um, I'm going to be covering stuff around uh, like agile, scrum processes, uh, mm-hmm. Kanban, some of these technical programming languages that you might hear through the weeds, such as um, JavaScript, the difference between JavaScript and Java and Python. And I think a lot of this technical language is going to help develop uh, designers uh, communicate better with developers, but also I think have a little more confidence in the way that they're presenting themselves at work because they're not going to be mm-hmm. sitting in a meeting with other technical stakeholders, just scratching their heads. They're going to be able to become more involved in the decision-making process. And, and then in turn, inform their designs to be a little more um, cognizant of some of those technical limitations. And I think that's one of the biggest things that has helped me differentiate myself from other designers when I apply is, in addition to having the CS degree on my resume, also being able to, to speak technically to developers, especially when you get interviewed. So there's going to be interviewing techniques in there. Uh, that's something I've worked on on and off for the past year or so. But I think over the next few months, that's when I'm going to start really kind of buckling down and putting stuff together. Um, and then piloting it and then testing it with a few people to see kind of their thoughts on it and how we can uh, make it better for, for more designers to consume. Speaking of content to learn, can you tell me more about why did you decide to do a master's degree in human factors compared to actually getting real life experience or doing more online courses or digital courses? Yeah, I, I definitely had weighed the pros and cons of the master's program quite considerably before I actually started my program. I remember when I first started doing research, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to do a master's program, go back to school so quickly after I had graduated, or if I wanted to do a master's in a different field or go uh, down another track of doing online courses. I think there's a lot of different alternatives nowadays. And a master's program is, I think, one of the many different options. Um, and, and for me, I actually have a spreadsheet of maybe like 15 different colleges and programs that I wanted to look into before I started it. Um, and some of them were more technical programs. I was thinking about getting a computer science degree, master's in CS at, uh, at Northeastern. Um, there were other, I guess, less technical programs. There were certificate programs that I looked into. 
Um, I was considering an MBA, but I think that's something that I decided to hold off on because I think a lot of MBA programs want some of that work experience before you get into the field um, or, or pursue that degree because you'll have more experiences to rely on and lean on and mm -hmm. talk about. Um, but I ultimately decided to go with Bentley because Bentley itself is a business school and they require you to take some business courses or some electives that are more uh, on the management side as opposed to just purely design. So I thought it would be a really good way for me to kind of fuse my interest in technology and also kind of get a taste of the management and, and business side again. Um, even though I had gotten the undergrad degree in, in business, I, I felt that a, at a master's level, at a higher level, you'll be able to get more connections from people who have worked in the industry um, mm -hmm. Also knowing that the average age of people in my program is uh, a little over 30. It's been really great kind of networking with other people who are more established in their careers, learning from them, um, kind of figuring out where they work at and, and being able to network with them so that you have future opportunities. I think it has been a really great experience. Um, but to speak a bit about why I chose Human Factors, Human Factors is a weird name and and I think a lot of it goes back to understanding some of the ergonomics and kind of physiology behind the bodies and, and the limitations be, behind some of our sensory experiences. Mm -hmm. But the full name of the program is called uh, the Masters in Human Factors in Information Design. So it's taking a lot of those uh, limitations and understanding of psychology and bodily functions and applying them specifically to designing in interfaces or um, uh, I guess other mediums that have a lot of information associated with them. So how do you communicate information in a way that's easy for people to understand um, mm -hmm. what's on the screen or, or what type of interaction they have to perform with it to get the uh, output that they want. So that's been really interesting. I'm halfway through the program right now and I actually created a video about deciding whether a master's in UI or UX is right for you on my own channel. But to encapsulate, I think it comes down to a lot of different things. Um, does it make sense for you at this point in your career? And some, sometimes if you are pivoting from a different uh, job or from a different industry that's completely unrelated, uh, it might be the right decision for you, um, especially if your current organization can pay for, for your learning, um, which is definitely difficult, but there are organizations that do it. Um, also considering whether or not the return on uh, investment is worth it if you're working at a job that's not uh, very lucrative or, or you're not getting paid very much, being able to figure out whether or not um, the chances of getting a master's will increase your ability to land a job in the UI or UX field afterwards. Uh, mm -hmm. The quality of networking and, and the opportunities available. Um, so far, the professors and the people who teach the classes here at Bentley have been really, really uh, useful in, in kind of landing you internships and you always get a lot of different job opportunities sent to your email. Um, you'll get a lot of referrals from uh, recommendations from teachers that you've performed well in their classes. Um, so I would say the quality of teaching at Bentley has been really, really good. Um, also, just the people that you, you go to class with. So a lot of the other students are from other organizations trying to figure out um, who do you want to talk to. Kind of, I've uh, made a lot of new friends as part of my program. So not only professional connections, but people who I've gone to breweries with, kind of being able to kind of chat on a, on a Sunday with and, and kind of share experiences that uh, we've had together. So um, a lot of different reasons why, but um, if you're interested, definitely check out the video. Uh, I think... Christine, you can share it in the link uh, down below. Yeah. But uh, if you have any questions, I mean, I, I'm on LinkedIn and you can always feel free to reach out. Yep. All of his social media handles will be down in the description or down in the show notes. So I have one last question about a career in UX and UI. So what are some common misconceptions about being in a UX and UI career? The, the one that I think a lot of designers in the industry joke about is, and we joke about it like in a very light manner, but I think underlying our, our joke, we have a lot of uh, deep set hatred for people who, who ask us to make things look good or look pretty. <laughs> so I've actually had a lot of people come up to me and say like, hey, can you make this look better? Like, can you design us a poster? Can you, can you, there's actually been a time where I was a designer in my last organization and they wanted me to design a tie. And a what? A tie, like a like a, like a formal tie. Oh wait, you yeah. mentioned this before. <laughs> yeah, I did, and I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions is that I think designers, <laughs> you hear the word design and you automatically think, oh, like graphic design, interior design, mm -hmm. something that's more visual. And you can be a UX designer and almost never work with the visuals at all. You can be someone who primarily focuses on running 
uh, brainstorming or design thinking sessions. You can be someone who focuses purely on the research and never really work with any of the visual software such as Sketch or uh, Axure or, or Figma or whatever. Um, and I think that's one of the big misconceptions. Another one that I can probably think of, um, going back to what I said, is just the difference between UI and UX. Let's see if there's any more. There's a lot of stuff, um, but I, I think the, that's kind of like the biggest one that I can think of. So that wraps up our career segment of this episode. We're going to go a little bit more into your side hustles. We kind of dabbled into it with the handoff, but we're going to go a little bit more into that. And I'm really curious as to tell me about your journey, because even though, I mean, we just talked about it, but design is not necessarily 100% creative. It's also a lot of back work in terms of tech or business or marketing or research or any kind of like that, just like the intersection of all of that. So how was your journey on YouTube? Because you started around the same time as me, but we also, even though our fields are very similar in terms of talking about tech and then education and then how to get into a particular field, our journeys could be completely different. So I'm curious about how was your content creation journey there? Part of my problem was that I flip-flopped a lot around what type of content I wanted to produce at the very beginning. So I had gone through a few different iterations of my site and I mm -hmm. still have both versions. One was around helping people get into uh, a full-time UX, UI UX role out of a bootcamp. Yeah. And, and the other one was this piece around digital content creation um, and helping uh, designers uh, learn how to communicate better with developers or in more technical organizations. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like now that I have a grander vision for what I want the handoff to be moving forward and just create content for people to consume, um, I think one of the things I'm going to continue doing is just put more content out there for regardless of whatever content it is, as long as it's related yeah. to design. Yeah. Um, that being said, I think my I've gotten hundred uh, a little more than a hundred email subscribers just by putting my website on on my, um, my or with the email sign up on my website. Nice. Um, I haven't really marketed my website at all since maybe like August or July. Um, people self discover it uh, from the videos that I put out. Uh, so I think the focus over the next few months is really just to continue creating content on YouTube, kind of seeing see uh, how what types of videos people gravitate towards and, and also just try to increase my own knowledge of using the software. Um, Adobe, using Adobe Premiere Pro is completely new to me. Um, I see a lot of the cool videos that you've put out there and also a lot of the videos that other people put out there, really cool editing, like uh, really high quality audio and video and being able to kind of put a bit of humor, your own humor in it has been really um, eye-opening and, and just really cool just learning the technology and software but i think it's going to be a lot of experimental uh just try trial and error over the next few months and then once i get into more of a uh, spot where i feel like the content i'm putting out is high quality enough i think that's when i'll focus more on uh, creating more paid content for for mm -hmm. viewers to, to consume i want to be more consistent around my posting schedule mm -hmm. so I've been pretty inconsistent over the past few months, uh, but being able to put out a video every week, uh, whether it's, I think part of my concern was just creating videos that are high quality and quality enough for people to, to watch. I don't want to put something out where I'm sitting on the toilet and, and just recording myself and, and letting everyone um, see what I'm doing. And while I'm talking about UI and UX, like that's not the type of quality I want to put out there. I think in many ways, I, I don't call myself a perfectionist, but I want to get close to it. I think a lot of that comes down to paralysis as, as well. So mm -hmm. if you want to make something perfect, you spend too much time on it. And also learning the tool is, is hard if you want to be a perfectionist because there's so many things that you want to do that you don't know how to do yet. Um, mm -hmm. So I think being more consistent, growing my channel, uh, my goal is to hit a thousand subscribers, hopefully by mid next year, which is I think mm -hmm. a lofty goal, but it's definitely, I, th I think it should be doable, especially because so many designers um, are getting into the field and more people want to switch into UI and UX that it's definitely possible. Um, so that's my goal for, for YouTube and also to get monetized. I think that's a mm -hmm. huge goal for any YouTuber is just to get recognized for the work and content that you're producing. And I think before I started my YouTube channel, um, I definitely underestimated the amount of work that goes into content creation. Yeah. Uh, so hats <laughs> off to anyone who's uh, uh, putting in the work and, and hustle to actually get work done and, and create videos because it's definitely something that's hard. Um, and then to answer your, your second part around my goals for uh, the handoff, the website, um, I'm still taking it a piece, uh, one, piece one, one piece at a time. Uh, the immediate goal is to launch some sort of uh, a course. Um, so I have an idea of what the course is going to be, but long term, if I do decide to pivot in another role, 
I'm never going to lose my, my skills or knowledge in the UI yeah. UX space. Um, so if I do want to go into product management, I think talking more about the intersection there and how designers can mm -hmm. uh, put on more of a kind of product hat when they're making design decisions or, or some of the considerations around uh, product terminology. So around like KPIs or more like financial terms that are related to how a business performs, uh, maybe different forms of analysis around whether your design is going to solve a problem or not. Um, so regardless of which field I go into, I, I think I still have as much flexibility as you do as a consultant, Okay. especially because with my background, I feel like I can, uh, I know a bit about everything. I am able yeah. to pivot if I want to. So I'm not concerned that uh, the design field is going to go away and I'm not going to be able to find a job. Like, I think there's a mm -hmm. lot of uh, opportunities out there, especially because we're in America. So definitely not concerned uh, at all. Just hearing your journey and your story, it really inspires me to keep on going more. And I'm really happy that I met you through Phi Chi Theta. So going into the vein of Phi Chi Theta, I'm curious about how did your experience at Phi Chi Theta help today? Yeah, I think Phi Chi Theta has been really instrumental in, in helping me become uh, the person I am today, yeah, socially, primarily. Um, and a lot of my close friends, I can say I met through Phi Chi Theta. So as I mentioned and alluded to earlier, that you'll meet a lot of people throughout college, people from your classes, people from clubs, people from fraternities and sororities and social organizations and even professors as well. And over time, you really kind of need to figure out where you're allotting your time and spending your time and who you're spending your time with. So a lot of my close friends today are actually from Phi Chi Theta, uh, in addition from other organizations and even from, from work as well, um, different companies I've worked for in the past. but. Phi Chi Theta has been helpful in, in teaching me some of those leadership skills and communication skills. I think those are kind of the two big pieces of uh, what I've learned from, from PCT. And coming into college, I think a lot of people uh, are a different person than, than when they exit college. And for me, that person that I came in to college as was someone who was definitely more introverted, someone who I would say was awkward. Um, had trouble communicating with other people, uh, definitely seen as an outcast. And there were definitely times where I felt like I didn't fit or belong. Um, and I definitely, I, I definitely think joining a fraternity gives you a sense of belonging, although yeah. that sense of belonging might be uh, fabricated or, or fake because you feel like you have to be a brother or a sister. Mm -hmm. And I definitely, I wrote an article about this a while back around the pros and cons around joining a fraternity, but I would say uh, going back to the pros, being able to assert leadership, especially if you're someone who's more senior, as someone who is uh, part of the founding class, the alpha class, you really have to uh, show uh, show up and, and set a good example for all of your brothers yeah. and sisters who are um, in a future class. So um, especially as we've grown the organi organization um, from what it was, nine, 10 members at the very beginning, all the way to hundreds of members. Um, now, today, with, with so many different classes and now that it's still active, I think it's really important to assert those leadership skills and, and show others what it means to be a leader, servant leader, someone who's willing to help you out in times of need, and also just learning to communicate with anyone who's different from you. And mm -hmm. one of the things that you'll learn is that there are gonna be people who have differences and being able to reconcile those differences and, and uh, present yourself in a professional manner regardless of the situation i think is really important yeah one of my favorite memories from pct was definitely the group trips that we went on uh being able to bond with brothers and and, and sisters and, and people that you normally don't interact with in a social setting being able to go um to vermont uh, being able to go to, to new hampshire and and just being able to kind of explore new england with with my brothers and sisters has been great uh, i think a lot of that has developed, uh, caused me to develop closer bonds with some of the people that I'm still close to today. Um, and a lot of my friends, I, I think we, being able to connect with someone on a social level definitely deepens your experience and your relationship with that person. Because it's not just about networking anymore. It's really about, this: is this person uh, a good person? Do, they, do I want them to be my friend? And if they are, how can I support them in their own personal and individual and professional goals? Mm -hmm. All right, so we're going to end it off with how can we find you on social media? So we did mention about the handoff a little bit. How else can we find you on social media? Yeah, there are three primary places that you can find me on social media. 
the first one, as Christine said, is The Handoff, my YouTube channel. Uh, and she'll link to that in the show, show notes. You can also find me uh, on my website, my first name, last name.com, DerekMay.com. And you can read a bit about me on my website. I also host a blog, so you can check out the article that I mentioned around uh, joining a fraternity um, and, and your sense of belonging. But there's a lot of other stuff on there as well. And then you can also check my portfolio out there if you're interested in getting into UI or UX. Uh, my email is if you, uh, on, on at the very bottom of the footer if you need to reach out. And then the last place is LinkedIn. Um, I check LinkedIn pretty often, I would say at least uh, once or twice a day. Um, get a lot of messages through there. So if you want to connect with me, if you have questions around my background or my career path or anything at all, feel free to reach out. I'm definitely very easy to get a hold of. Um, mm-hmm. But again, Christine, really appreciate you having me on your, on your podcast. This was and your YouTube channel. This is great. Mm-hmm. And what have you been up to lately? Let me actually show you what, what I have. This shit right here. So over quarantine, so over quarantine, I've actually developed a, uh, a huge bullet journal fascination. Hmm. Uh, one of the things that I've discovered is this company called Baron Fig. And they're actually one of my favorite companies right now. And so in addition to reading, I've been being, I've been more conscious around tracking my habits and the things that I do every day. So there's a journal that I've been using every day called uh, the Baron Fick Clear Habit Journal. It looks like this. And inside it, you can find uh, a lot of the habits at the very end. You can track a variety of habits every single day. Right now, my habits are, um, I use a site called Focusmate to keep mm. track of my productivity sessions. Uh, so definitely check that out if you're interested. Um, it's helped me focus, especially during quarantine when you're at home and you have so many distractions, being able to track whether I drink enough water every day, um, exercise every day, uh, read, studying Thai. Those are some of the habits I track. And then my one of my goals actually for the for this year, now that uh, I'm in my mid-20s and I feel like I I want to be more mindful and conscious of what I'm eating and, and drinking. Mm. I've decided to commit to no alcohol for this whole year, which actually sounds like a huge, uh, a very difficult feat to accomplish, but I haven't Wait, drank. And you said for, for the whole year, do you mean 2020 or 2021? For, for my, for my birthday. So starting in October until okay. next October. So that's one of my goals is to not drink any alcohol. Um, at least not enough to get drunk. Like I'm even a beer is too much at that, at that point. It's really, uh, everything in moderation. So I did mm-hmm. try a bit of rum. I mean, to test out whether or not I had COVID. Um, so I did lose my sense of smell and taste. Um, but other than that, like putting wine and cooking, that's fine. Like just really being more mindful of what I'm putting into my body and also just tracking like my daily schedule, like, uh, what I'm doing for the day, kind of goals that I want to put together for the long term and doing like audits uh, of my mm-hmm. life at, at different points around my emotional well-being around my financial well-being my social my professional just being able to track everything has been really cool and one of the coolest things that they have are these things are these pens so they have these baron fix squires and these are pretty pricey pens but i have around four of them at this point and they're just really, really nice, well-made pens and really well-designed pens. This is a Liberty pen, specifically made for um, signing documents. And uh, this was when the election came around and you had to sign your uh, your ballot. And then I have this one called Error 404, which means like you're essentially moving offline to do your work. And I think a lot of us get glued to our interfaces nowadays. Mm-hmm. So it's what do you do if you don't have your iPad or your computer or your phone at your disposal? How do you spend your time? Um, mm-hmm. That for me is just keeping track of my habits, trying to be more mindful of what I'm doing, and and in the process, kind of picking up new new hobbies as well. Mm-hmm. Do you have new things or new goals that you want to do specifically for 2021, other than not drinking alcohol until your next birthday? Yeah, let's let's take a look. Yeah, so by the end of the the year, um, I I do want to get better at Thai. Um, being able to read more books, so at least 12 books for the year. I think in the mm-hmm. past, I've meant, I threw that number out, but never really kind of followed it, or if I was kind of just skimming through books. Um, being more mindful about my uh, kind of professional 
and, and also financial future. Um, so learning more about investing and, and uh, real estate, um, growing my YouTube channel, in, increasing my following on LinkedIn, uh, removing distractions on, on, on online. So we talked a bit mm. about social media, but uh, just being uh, more cognizant of which channels I'm on and how I'm spending my time each day. Uh, and, and also, I think just developing hobbies and giving more things a try. I think this year mm -hmm. has been a pivotal moment for a lot of people in figuring out what's important to us and, and just realizing that time is valuable and being able to spend it uh, uh, in, in things that you want to do and just giving new things a try, regardless of uh, I think your comfort zone is something that I've, I've definitely uh, looked at. All right. So the last question I have for you is, do you have any last words of advice for any of our viewers or listeners? Yeah, um, I would say the last piece of advice is where you are right now is not where you'll end up. And you need, I think, keeping this mindset throughout the rest of your life is something that you can uh, take with you and I think will benefit you in the long run. I... I started developing this mindset throughout college and, and knowing that I came into college as someone who was not super accomplished, someone who was a little more awkward, um, couldn't speak in, in front of others without uh, stuttering and, and just not knowing what I wanted to do with my future. I think having a goal that you wanted to kind of put your mind to, um, focusing on the work itself and, and making incremental steps to get to where you want to be in the short term, in the long term, has been really uh, inspirational for me. Uh, as, as a piece to kind of keep myself moving regardless of what environmental factors are going on. Um, so if there's some sort of temporary uh, or situational blip that's causing you to lose productivity or lose motivation, know that it's temporary. Um, mm -hmm. You'll always have the ability to get back on your horse and move forward. And also, I think, knowing that if you're not where you want to be right now, if you don't like the job or, or uh major that you're in, know that you have the ability to walk away from it. I think no one's forcing you to, to stay in a job. Um, of course, there are situations and factors that might make it more difficult, especially if you have a family to, to take care of, if there are other financial limitations or, or other limitations that are keeping you from what you're doing. But um, things will pass and you'll definitely have the ability to, to move on and, and pursue what you want as long as you keep your head up, stay motivated and really um, know that there is an end goal for each one of us. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for your advice and telling us about your journey. All of his links and social media handles are going to be down in the description and very looking forward to seeing that digital course launch. So that would probably be like next year. So when that comes out, it'll be also in the link as well. And not to mention, definitely subscribe to him, watch his videos if you're interested in user experience and also reach out to him on LinkedIn as well. Thank you guys so much and see you guys next time. And thank you, Derek, for being a guest here.